As Americans, we have this affinity for the rebel, right? We have this this sympathy for one who uh, opposes uh, a tyrant, someone in authority who's acting unjustly. And this makes sense because our nation was born in the midst of a rebellion. You know, the rebellion that our founding fathers led against King George III and the British Empire. And so really, since the beginning, we've had this, this don't tread on me, give me liberty or live me, give me death mindset as a, as, a, as a collective, as a culture. And there have been many times in our history where this has really served us well. But there are some downsides to it. You know, to this, this sort of affection for the rebel. Because not all rebellions are good, morally speaking. You know, history is filled with some rebellions that were, were rather immoral. In fact, the very first rebellion ever was in a very literal way diabolical. Satan was an angel created by God, created good, who rebelled and incited a number of angels to rebel with him. And once they were cast out of paradise, they wasted no time instigating our first parents, uh, getting our first parents, tempting them into joining this failed and doomed rebellion. And the consequences of Adam and Eve's choice, free choice to join this rebellion, are devastating. You know, this is, as a result of this, paradise was lost. All the children of Adam and Eve, down through the ages, all of us, We've known sin and suffering and death. We are born into this state of enmity with God, this state of rebellion with God. And we kind of see this in our gospel today. We see this rebellion come to its ugly climax, right? Because what do we see in the gospel? Look, God, even in spite of our sin, he still loved us. He became a man to save us from ourselves. And we rejected him and we crucified him. Our gospel begins with this supremely ironic line. The rulers sneered at him. The the so-called rulers sneered at the king of kings, reviled him and mocked him. They wrote, this is the king of the Jews over his cross as a mockery, making fun of him. Even one of the criminals next to him mocked him, derided him. You know, here's the interesting thing. Jesus in the Gospel of John, he says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down so that I can take it up again. Jesus is God. If he wanted to, he could have answered those taunts. The taunts that said, if you are the Christ, come down from the cross. If he wanted to, he could have come down from the cross unharmed in a display of majesty and power and forced Caiaphas and Pilate and everyone to acknowledge that he is who he said he is, that he is the Son of God, that he is the Christ, that he is the King of the universe. That's not the way God operates. That's the way the kings of the earth operate. You know, the kings of the earth, their power is based on what? Domination, coercion, force. That's not the power that Christ the King shows from his throne, the cross. Really, his power comes from two sources, from truth and from love. From the truth that he is who he says he is, that he is the Son of God, that he is the Christ, that he was born of the Virgin for us to save us, and that he died for us. And because he's God, he can take a grave evil, 
like the cross, a grave evil like this false accusation, this false condemnation, this, this unjust man, or this just man put to death unjustly. He can take that evil and bring out of it the greatest good, which is what he does. Because he's God, the cross, which on Good Friday looked like a symbol of his complete defeat, becomes a symbol of his victory. The power of Christ the King is in the truth that he is who he says he is, but it's also in the love that he has for us, the love that Christ has for the Father and the Holy Spirit, that he would willingly go through the torture of Good Friday to save us, to show us precisely how much he cares for us. That he would do this to open up a pathway so that we could end this futile rebellion and become the adopted sons and daughters of God that he created us to be. So that we could be an heir in this kingdom of heaven. And our gospel shows us one man, and a very unlikely one at that, who's able to look beyond the appearances and to see the king that Christ truly is. Tradition has called him Saint Dismas, the good thief. He's the one who says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Christ says in reply, Amen, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And just like that, this man who had perhaps lived his entire life in rebellion against God is in an instant healed and made whole, is in an instant made an heir of paradise, restored to that paradise lost by the sin of our first parents. Although Americans, we love the rebel, we must not rebel against the king of kings. You know, to live a life of rebellion against God, what does that mean? That means to live an unrepentant life, an unrepentant life. You know, um, Cardinal George, the late... Uh, Cardinal Archbishop of Chicago, he used to make this comment about the Frank Sinatra song, I Did It My Way. He said, that song is the anthem of everyone in hell. I did it my way, not your way. You know, Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane says, not my will be done, but your will be done. And Cardinal George says, those of us in rebellion against God, we say, I want it my way. I'm doing it my way, not yours. St. Dismas shows us that we must end this rebellion against God. We must acknowledge that we can't do it my way. We have to do it his way. And we can experience exactly what Dismas experienced every time we go to confession. We're saying as we confess our sins, yeah, I'm justly condemned. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And when the Christ through the minister, the priest absolves us, we're restored to that state of friendship under Christ, our King. You know, uh, this, this solemnity we celebrate today, the, the feast day of Christ the King, it's a relatively new one. It hadn't even been around 100 years. It was, it, it was started in 1925 by Pope Pius XI. And uh, when he promulgated, uh, began this feast day, he wrote this. He said, Oh, what happiness would be ours if all men, individuals, families, and nations would let themselves be governed by Christ. Then at length will many evils be cured, peace with all its blessings restored. This feast is a reminder to us that true peace and happiness is only possible if we allow 
the truth and love of Jesus Christ, the King of the universe, to reign in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, our families, even in our world. Yes, we Americans, we love the rebel, but we can't rebel against the King of Kings. But I'll say this about our affinity for rebels. You know, a a Catholic philosopher, Peter Kreeft, he once said, in an age that has thrown off tradition, the only rebellion possible is orthodoxy. What does that mean? He means that in a world in which, in a world that has been in rebellion against the King of Kings since the Garden of Eden, the true rebel today is the one who goes against the grain of our godless age and submits himself, herself, wholly to Christ the King. The one who says, I'm not going to live as the world tells me to live. That's really a true rebel, even though the world would say you're being a conformist. The one who says, I'm not going to allow the world to tell me what's right and wrong. I'm going to believe what Christ says is right and wrong. That's a very rebellious statement to make in this day and age. That we listen to what Christ has revealed. I'm going to place my life under the rule of the crucified king. May we be that kind of rebel. May we be the kind of rebel who has the courage to go against the tide and to serve Jesus Christ, the king of the universe.